to Generation X Paranormal. everybody welcome back um so if it sounds like i have a cold it it is i told nicole earlier when i have my sticky shoes or show so <laughs> this is my sticky shoe. if you don't know what that is you should watch friends um anyway so today's topic is it's interesting um we'll kind of kick it off with this you know labor day has always been you know associated with going back to school and having to deal with the end of summer, right? You know, or, you know, shopping. I know there's a big shopping holiday, too, next to, like, uh, Black Friday, I guess. But anyway, you know, you think about the end of summer, and it's just kind of kind of a, a farewell tour of, you know, of heat, especially for Nicole, because she was raised in the Midwest. For me, temperature didn't change a whole lot. <laughs> but um, at any rate, so there was an event in 1969, September 1st, and when I say there was an event on that day, there were there were events prior to that, and there were some events after that date. But these were what we're about to talk about mainly happened on September first of nineteen sixty nine. And if you don't know what that is, um, or what this incident is, it's the Berkshire UFO. So the Berkshire UFO incident happened um, basically around Berkshire County uh, and Great Barrington, Massachusetts. And that area, you know, it's absolutely beautiful, and especially at that time of year. You know, people are seeing all the, um, you know, the bugs, all the lightning bugs and stuff like that. So it's it's a lot of fun, and I'm sure they had uh, parades and everything that day. So there were a lot of people out, and uh, for some of these for some of these people enjoying the day, uh, there was an encounter that they weren't really expecting. So the Berkshire County. Great Barrington, Massachusetts, September 1st, 1969, UFO incident. So Nicole's Nicole's in here, and uh, she's going to bring out some uh, some great information. Then, And I'll kind of preface with, we are going to cover five incidences, but there were a lot more. Um, these are sort of the top five, and uh, it's a bit timely because there is a special at, um, or on Netflix, rather, uh, kind of, reinventing um what's the name of the show uh my moon yeah unsolved mysteries that's right and um you know it we're just kind of watching its revival and it's a story that i I never really actually had heard of um you know and not granted i don't know every single story when it comes to ufos but i'd never heard of this incident um and it's surprising because you're gonna find that this one is a bit it's a bit different than your normal everyday ufo incident um not just in the amount of people that witnessed it but in the actual events that happened so nicole if you want to kind of jump in and and get us started and kind of tell us what what you brought well the first one we're going to talk about was witnessed by a woman named jane green And she had been in town. She was driving from Stockbridge back to Great Barrington. And she saw a bunch of lights. So she assumed it was like police cars, ambulance, something like that, like there had been an accident. Right. So they, she pulled over to the side of the road and they suddenly saw a huge object floating in the sky. And I think she was with her friend. So it was her and her friend in the front seat. Okay. So this huge object was floating, 
and then and it was so big that she said she couldn't see the end like where it ended she could see wow. it from like left to right but couldn't see like where the end was sure she said that it was really tall huge hugely immense but there was absolutely no noise to it no humming no like what you would expect to like hear like propulsion type stuff right okay so no noise like it was completely dead quiet and then in seconds, it lifted up, went sideways, lifted up again, and then went over the mountain. Wow. Like, within seconds, it did all those maneuvers. Without any noise. Without any noise. <laughs> wow. And that's interesting because in, in 1969, we talk about these lights. You know, it's not like today where you have LED lights and, you know, right. headlights are blinding anymore. And, you know, police lights are just, you know. It'll it'll knock your corneas out, but right. Um, it was, you know, it's, it was it's, so bright that that's all they can attribute it right. to. Right. Yeah. The second sighting we're going to talk about comes from someone named Tom Warner. Now, Tom Warner was a little boy when this happened, and he had these friends, I guess, that lived not too far away from his actual house, and he would go over and. He liked to hang out with the older sister because she would, you know, teach him how to color and, and all these other things. So right. he was over at the house and he was coloring at the time and he just got like heard a voice. I think he said that told him um, to go home because he <clears> went over to the window and was looking outside and he just got this voice in his head that said, you need to go home now. So not an audible voice, just not an, an audible voice. Just it's like he had that feeling somebody told him he needed to go home right now. Okay. Okay. So he just like ran out the door, hmm. and he said he felt full of energy, and he just ran as fast as he could, like full speed ahead. And though I think it was the mother or maybe the older sister, I don't don't recall that was watching this and said he had just, he was running full speed, but he was running in place. Hmm. Wow. So it was just like he, his body was frozen, but his legs were still going. Jeez. And it, and she said it lasted for about five minutes. Like he was just running in place. Wow. That's kind of like my treadmill workouts lately. So he said he like, something made him turn his head. And when he did, this what he calls a UFO dropped out in front of him and a beam of light landed on top of him. Hmm. His hands flew back and he said the air got sucked out of him. Hmm. And then all of a sudden he disappeared. Wow. And this comes from the woman like she saw saw this happen. Okay. Um, when he woke up later, he was laying on the ground at the other end of the property. Hmm. And there was something in his head that told him, like, I'll be done in a minute. Because he was kind of, like, frozen there. When he stood up, the beam disappeared. And from start to finish, from him disappearing, basically, till he reappeared on the ground and he was able to get up, it was about seven minutes is what the witness said. Wow. Okay. So there was a time slip. Mm-hmm. And the next woman we're going to talk about, her name is Melanie. Um which we'll get to her later, but Tommy Warner remembers seeing her on the ship, what he calls the ship, with just fear in her eyes. 
So we've actually got him going into the craft. That's what he said. He doesn't remember a lot, but he remembers seeing her. Um, and like when he met her later, he already knew who she was, but just from sight, wow. from seeing her. Okay. And he later on in his life, he's an artist. He okay. does watercolor, watercolor paintings. Okay. And he did a painting of his experience. Yeah, I see that here. And he wrote a book called Beyond the Stars. Hmm. Yeah, and and obviously we'll put this on um, on the video and and at our in YouTube, but or I'm sorry, in the Facebook. Um, but yeah, that's pretty impressive. Um, yeah, he's. Uh, it's interesting that you know, he's probably young, so he can't really remember things in general. I mean, when you're young, you don't typically remember some things, but you know the fact that uh, he remembers seeing this woman. But I mean, they went into a ship. Which mm-hmm. it's interesting that it was only seven minutes. I, I I guess for me, I would think it would be a longer process than that, you know. Possibly, but if we don't know how time exists, right? You know, I mean, on Earth it would be seven minutes, but right. if they took, you know, how that changes, sure, like time and space and yeah. and. A you know, wormhole or something. Yeah, I'm not a, <laughs> yeah. a scientist, but I know there there's, you know, yeah. changes there. I mean, it could have been a lot longer, but, and he's not the one that's saying it was seven minutes. It was the witness that watched him disappear sure. from start to finish. It was seven minutes. So from her observation, it was seven minutes, but mm-hmm. it could have been an hour. We, we have no idea. I mean, yeah, we don't know. And he mm. doesn't remember anything but seeing that. Okay. And so the next, so we're going to talk about Melanie now because... He saw Melanie. Okay. Okay. So Melanie was a child when this happened as well. Um, her family had been in town, and they had went and got some ice cream cones. You know, it's it's Labor Day, so they sure. were out and about. Yeah. It's still warm, probably. Yep. Um, and I guess there's a lake called Lake Mansfield. Okay. So her her father drove the car to the lake. And I guess they were just hanging out in the car eating ice cream cones. You know, <laughs> yeah. that's what you would imagine like a 1960s sure. family would do, right? Heck yeah, nowadays yeah, too. Yeah. Right. Okay. So they were sitting there and then this bright light beamed into the car. And so the the her father, I guess, started chasing this light in the car because it was like at a distance. And she said she remembers levitating, like the car levitating. Whoa. Um, and she remembers being on a ship and laying flat and seeing a bunch of other kids around her. Jeez. She doesn't recall the faces or anything. She just remembers seeing a bunch of kids. Right. Okay. And what's interesting is Tommy Warner had said that he had seen her laying down and had saw fear in her eyes, but nobody was speaking. So Mm. those stories line up. Yeah, they sure do. Okay. And she said that... She was laying there. She could see the kids. And then all of a sudden, they each started to disappear one by one. Oh, so in the room as she's there, she's in, watching in the kids. Yeah, she's watching okay. kids just disappear one by one. Wow. Okay. And remember, Tommy Warner said, you know, all of a sudden I was back on the ground, but at the other end of the property. Right. But in the general area of where he got taken. Right. Huh. That's what he said. Well, uh, Melanie said that she woke up at the lake like where they had been with the car but she was by herself and she had to walk home wow. so she didn't come back in the car or anything she was just by herself 
And when she met Tommy Warner after this all happened, she said she felt an immediate connection with him. Like they had shared an experience, even though neither of them had talked about it yet. So I I thought that was pretty interesting. You know, you figure that's a pretty traumatic event, you know, whether or not, you know, they consciously know it subconsciously, you know, it's very likely. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So I'm going to go with this next experience um, before we get to the last one. Okay. Because there's a lot involved with with this guy. But um, there was a another eyewitness account that's not as popular as the rest of these that I'm going to talk about. And it was from some man named Kevin Titus. And he was a child as well. What's interesting is these were all kids that seemed to have yeah. these experiences. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, he was playing with a friend um, in Great Parent in Great Barrington. Sorry. Um, and they decided to track down two of the farm's missing cows. So they were on one of the kids' farms. Okay. And they stumbled upon a dead cow. And he described it as being ripped apart, but without Hmm. any blood. Wow. So it was like completely ripped apart. Like in nothing, you know, that's not something a wild animal would do or a coyote would do. Yeah, there would be a lot of mastication. There would be parts. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it was completely ripped apart, but no blood. He said that they, when they found the cow, then the two boys were then, um, bathed in bright lights and they saw like a tortoise shell shaped craft hovering without noise Mm. which again like from jane green she said there was no noise Um, that's pretty amazing him and his friend they alerted uh the parents who also saw the lights and the ufo over their farm so they saw the lights and the the ufo Mm. They immediately called the WSBS, which is the local radio station, and the police. And he says that he mentions that the military was informed of the event. Okay. And the military confirmed that none of their aircraft were in the vicinity, but that their radars picked up odd activity in the area that weekend. Mm, how about that? And so it wasn't just that day. There, there were reports from the day before and the day after. Right. There was multiple, but... A lot of it ha- seemed to happen on September 1st. So it's interesting that the military made a statement, especially back then. Yeah. yeah they wouldn't do that back then. Yeah. So we'll go on to this last one. Thomas Reed. Right. Okay. And if you look up this UFO incident, you're going to see a lot of this guy. His face right. is all over it. Yeah, he's kind of the poster boy for the yeah. incident. Yeah. And what I found out about him in doing more research is he, him and his brother have said that they had experiences before this even happened. Okay. Okay. So this happened in 1969, but let me see. He said in 1966, so three years before this happened, um, him and his brother saw lights and figures in their house before being led into the woods and beamed into a UFO. So this is what he said in 1966. Jeez. And then in 1967, they saw lights, heard doors in their house slamming, and awoke near their driveway after another trip inside the UFO. Hmm. So he's basically claiming multiple abductions. Sure. Okay. Hmm. Um, so we'll go to 
September 1st, 1969 okay. for him. Okay. Sure. So he was in a horse show in town. So it was, I think, a Labor Day parade or something. So he yeah. was riding his horse as a boy. Right. Okay. So because that went so late into the night, they went to the diner to eat at 9 p.m., him and his, his mother, and I think his maybe his brother. Um, so... They were coming home late, so they took this bridge called the Sheffield Bridge mm-hmm. home, which is six miles south of Barrington. Okay. When they saw a light rising from the banks of the Housatonic River. Okay. Okay, so their their car was going across the bridge, and I think the mom turned around to say something to the boys, and she saw the light come out of the river, so it was behind them. Oh, okay. Like yeah, the that direction makes sense. they were going. Okay. okay. And she said there's a light ball hovering two stories high. Hmm. Okay. And then out of this ball, there was a rods of light that were fired down at them. And it and it kind of looked like what he described as like an orange aura wave, like a wave of light. Okay. Like it was moving. And all of a sudden it got really quiet. Like all the animals, crickets, all that stuff were just... You know, Still. completely dead, dead mm-hmm. silent. Yeah. And they felt like a pressure change, like he said, you know, being underwater. Like okay. how if you go really deep in the pool, you kind of get that, mm-hmm. that pressure change. Yep. And that's what they felt. So um, the family pulled off to the side of the road. And when they looked up, there was a disc-shaped object hovering about 100 yards long. And the mother explained it as like a turtle shell turned on its side. And that's the second time it was described that way as looking like tortoise shaped. Right. The car lit up and then all of a sudden all like the wildlife just started making sounds again. So it was just like an eruption of noise. Mm. And that's the last thing that he remembers. Okay. And from start to finish of this, there was three hours of lost time that the family cannot remember. Hmm. Okay. When they woke up, they woke up in the car in front of a drugstore, but all the family members had switched seats in the car. (laughs) So they weren't in the original seats. And what's interesting about this is that I think the... The mother and the grandmother were in the front seat, and the mother was driving. Right. And the grandmother couldn't drive, and she was in the passenger seat. Well, when they woke up, the grandmother hit, hit, was in the driver's seat. Oh, jeez. So they were switched, and there's no way that could have happened. Plus, they were in a different location. It's like they had been taken and put back, but somebody um, messed up yeah. in in UFO yeah. land and targets yeah. did he call because they put them in the wrong seat. So it was like so that they wouldn't remember. Every species has a moron. Right. <laughs> they, got, they got back in the, the wrong seats. Right. Okay. And, you know, what's sad about all of these stories is that most of these people, you know, got harassed and made fun of and they couldn't talk about it, you know, because especially in 1969, these things were not discussed. Right. Right, yeah. that you, you're crazy. That the stuff doesn't happen, and I guess his mother uh, had owned the diner, and she had to sell it, and they had to sell their house and move. And later in life, I think uh, Thomas Reed he took a polygraph test, mm-hmm. and he passed it with ninety nine percent plausibility. <laughs> wow! So only one percent there that he could have been lying about it. 
And I think that's pretty normal. I think even a baseline polygraph, I think um, it, that's the same thing. Like everybody gets, I think, a 99%. Maybe I'm wrong, but I thought I remember reading that. Yeah. What's interesting is, so this road that they were on, the Thomas Reed and his family, it was on Route 7. So that highway goes from Connecticut to Massachusetts to New Hampshire and then Vermont. And the reports of the sightings um, that night came from towns all in close proximity to Route 7. <laughs> so it was just in that general area, it seemed. Sure. Okay. Okay. And then, I mean, there has been a monument erected at Sheffield Bridge. It was immediately graffitied, like <laughs> right after that, just like crossed out. Um, America. But local supporters, you know, raised the money and, right. you know. I think it was like $5,000 to put it up. But that bridge is no longer, you don't travel over it by car. It's like a walking path, and there's a park there. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I'm looking at the pictures here, and if you paint that thing red, it looks like the Beetlejuice Bridge. Yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's that old-timey yeah. wooden That bridge. New England kind of. Yeah. 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 Um, so after all these sightings basically that day, a lot of these people called the local radio station, the WSBS, and the DJ, his name was Tom J. There's a lot of Toms in this story, so yeah, it can get that. confusing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he got a lot of calls, so he went on the air and basically you know, asked if anyone saw or knew what these sightings were because he was getting calls at the station. And when he did that, multiple calls came in mm. saying, yeah, I saw this, I saw that, I saw that. What's unfortunate is back then in 1969, when they did a show, they would immediately use the tape over. So they would like delete it within a couple of days and use, you know, the old rolled tape. Right. The reel to reel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they would record back over. So we don't have those phone calls now. Great. To go back and look, look at. But there was no reference in police reports or local newspapers about this, mo mostly because they thought these people were crazy. You know, so they didn't record anything down. So there's not much to say that, so, you know, people witnessed anything. We're down to pretty much just eyewitness accounts instead of any kind of written or uh, documented reports. Right. Right. Now, there was a sheriff there, um, and he his name was Galata. Okay. And he remembers people calling in and saying that they saw disc-shaped objects landing slowly in the fields. Mm. So, but nothing was recorded. So right. but he remembers them calling about it. Okay. And he found it interesting. Well, yeah, I mean, even for a person who's into, or is in law enforcement, I should say, I mean, just because you're stoic and just because you try to play everything by the numbers doesn't mean that you can't, you know, be witness to something like this. Yeah. So even though there's no written or audio record of these things happening, okay? The Great Barrington Historical Society and Museum inducted Thomas Reed's story of his experiences into their archives and based on his accounts and written records provided by the radio station WSBS, they declared his account of the Berkshire UFO to be true from a professional historian's perspective. Mm. So 
they went ahead and erected this thing near the bridge, and they have a park there, and there's different monuments, and and I know different sh- you know paranormal UFO shows have donated benches there. Yeah, I think. Travis Walton, right? Travis I think he, Walton yeah. did. Yeah, that was a pretty big story in my neck of the woods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what was some of the other ancient aliens? Was yeah, one. I remember that. There was a few different. Um, so now it's a little park you can go visit. It's right next to the bridge, and you can kind of see where the area happened. Hmm. Well, so there's the facts, right? I mean, that's the that's mm-hmm. the story. That's the that's what we know. So. You know, it's Labor Day. I'm just trying to trying to unpackage everything here. It's Labor Day. It's still nice out. People are out and about, um, and they all share the same incident. What what I find interesting about that is, you know, you hear about a lot of these these abduction cases, and it's usually one person, maybe two, and they're usually together. Right. You know, they've been they're in a vehicle or something like that, and they get abducted and. You know, I call it the magic alien vacuum, sucks them up into this, the thing, and, you know, they have their own experience. But you don't typically see, you know, uh, such a, a large array of people, especially in not exactly in the same area, but, you know, within a, a radius having the exact same uh, phenomenon or event or whatever you want to call it. And, and it's interesting that it all happened on the same highway, Highway 7. Um, you know, it, I know that the historical part of it says that it, it's likely to be true. Well, I think it is true. They, they all had some kind of incident. You know, whether or not it was a you know, of course, there's there's a lot of people that will say, well, it's some kind of mass delusion or, you know, some mass hypnotic thing that happened. That's what most of the people that will probably say, well, it's not true. There's some kind of, you know, there's something that happened to all these people at the same time. I personally don't believe that, but the reason I find this story so compelling is the fact that so many different people had the same incident or the same mm-hmm. experience. Same description of what the craft looked like, the no- saying there was no noise coming from it. Yeah. Um, what I find interesting is the majority of these people were children. Yeah, that's interesting. It's... Now, there were a couple of families. Right. But it seems like it was kids. That's what's interesting is, you know, you think about our Zimbabwe show, right? Yeah. You know, we're, we're another well-known story revolved around kids. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, you know, I wonder what the, I, I guess for me, maybe the aliens or whatever you want to call it, the visitors will just say, maybe the reason they choose the youth is one, they do have a quick memory. So maybe right. they would forget it and they can regret or re some of those memories um but I, I just find that interesting that you know the parallel and, and it isn't even it isn't even just that you know you think about just in movies in general if you remember uh close encounters of the third kind and one of the very first incidents is that little boy running around there for toys and he gets sucked up into the sky so mm-hmm. yeah i find that really interesting um you know we cover a lot of different things with the paranormal and of course some stuff you know, we just try to keep it level-headed as possible, you know, but I am a believer, and I'm pretty passionate about the fact that, you know, if 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 you aren't in that part of your life where you're accepting that there are some things being visited, there's some things visiting our planet, 
you got to take a deep look because we've already got the military, we've got the government pretty much just saying, hey, guys, yeah, this is happening. Right. Yeah, you didn't have that back in the old days. Well, that's what I find interesting about these older stories, especially like 1969. This is before our technology has gotten to where it is now. It's almost, I mean, it's the easiest thing in the world to blame it on this or that, this technology Mm -hmm. or this, you know, military's doing this or, you know. And, of course, the military had things back then. But the military even came out and made a statement. No, we saw things going on, but we weren't there. No, could they lie? Yes, of course they could. Yeah. But what would cause these kids to have these memories? That's where that comes into play, you know. And I don't think, sorry, but I don't think the United States government had gotten to that point in 1969 where they could make a craft that didn't make any noise. (laughs) (laughs) They can't even do it now. (laughs) Exactly. So, I mean, they had the, what's the stealth fighter pilot? So that is the the B... uh B2 stealth. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But that w- when did they come out with that? Well, I mean, they had been testing it way back in like the early 80s and arguably the the SR71 That's was the one I'm part of it. About. Yeah, that was the 60s, late 50s, early 60s. Okay, so that, you know, we've seen one yeah. up close and personal um, yep. in Tucson, Arizona. Mm-hmm. You know, they got the the air and fuel air museum, museum mm-hmm. you know. And you can, they've got one in one of the hangars that you can walk underneath. It's very cool looking. I oh, mean, yeah. And for that time period, it would have been, it would have looked like something out of this world. It's very sleek and black and would have been almost silent, but not completely silent. Actually, I'll be honest with you, no. What's interesting about the SR-71 is, A, it could fly so incredibly high that it would elude most radar. But the paint scheme actually did a lot of that. Um, but I can tell you right now, I've actually seen one fly at an air show. You cannot mistake that thing for being silent. Yeah. It is god awful loud. But it still looks like an airplane. I mean, oh, that's yeah, yeah. the thing. No matter how you say it, how, you know, how yes. revolutionary it looks, it still looks like a man made mm-hmm. airplane. What these people are describing are disc shaped, turtle, right. tur- tur- turtle shaped. And the right. one woman, I think, described it as. Like taking a turtle shell and turning it on its side, and then so that's the shape of it. But then it had like kind of like the ridges, like the edge of a turtle shell would have, you know, mm-hmm. like on the on the ends. Mm-hmm. So have those ridges. Hmm. We don't have anything like that, no. and we definitely wouldn't have anything like that in 1969. No, I mean for us, you know, you can have an SR-71, you can have the, you know, the B or the uh, stealth bomber, the stealth fighter, you can have all that stuff. But in the end. Flight characteristics and and aerial flight for us is still relatively the same. You have a wing and you have some form of thrust. Right. Whether it's a prop, whether it's a, you know, an engine, whatever, something has to push it forward and the wings create lift and that's how you fly. Right. And I don't think any of these things had that. Well, and there was one description that I had read that I didn't speak about, but they, they talked about how it was silver and shiny. And that, you know, it came down in a slope like the sides and then it, there were no windows or doors that you could see, but it had almost looked like paneled, like panel looking. Yeah. Um, which was a different description, but I think it was one of the person that was a kid when they right. were little. So, I mean, that's how they, you know, we like we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. 
you know, best what they knew to describe it. This is what the words they're going to use. So in the movement, the one lady said it in seconds, it went up to the side, up and took off. Right. So there's nothing of ours, you know, that could have done that, especially in 1969. No, I mean, some of these UFO stories, I'm like, eh, they can be explained away, I think. Because there are things that we just don't know. I mean, there's satellites, stuff like that, that, you know, you see pictures or lights in the sky. Mm-hmm. I think can be explained away. Sure. This is completely different. This is actually eyewitness accounts, people, seeing people somewhere and not knowing who they are and then recognizing them later. Yeah. You've got, like, you know them to being talked to, them being frozen. The the boy being frozen and running in place, that just blows my mind. Like yeah, I cannot that's pretty think, frightening. I can't come up with a no. another explanation for that. No, I mean place. especially, you know, it would be absolutely scary for the kid, so you know, he'd remember something like that, but to even witness that, I I don't know what would keep you from going forward. Right. And a lot of these are, you know, well, they're, they're adults now, but at the time they were kids and it was their parents, you know, like the one witness saw the, with the boy. And, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, well, they just want fame. They want attention now. Yeah, absolutely. You, right. you saw that you would go out and blast it all over Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and whatever it is you use now. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you would make it known. You'd be on TV. You'd be make a video on YouTube. You'd let everybody in the world know because you yeah. want that attention, right? This is 1969. Yeah. Okay. Things are much different, you know? And I mean, these people were all harassed. Some people had to sell their businesses, their homes. They had to move because people looked at them as crazy. The one boy said that he never got to date anyone in high school because they all looked at him as the crazy kid. Right. Because he had said this had happened, you know? And so why would you want to say that this experience happened to you when you're looked at that way? Unless you were a hundred percent sure that you experienced something. Absolutely. It's a very valid. And you think about, you know, the lady who owned the the diner and, you know, she had a, she had a business, Mm -hmm. you know, she was, she was a, she was making income. It was it was her way to provide for her family, and if I remember right in the story, um, she was real excited to move out there. Well, yeah, they had they had moved from New York, and she was a single mother. Mm-hmm. So you think a single mother's excited that she lost her business and home and no. has to leave? No, no, it's putting a lot on the line to come out with a story like that. Right, right. So I just I don't buy that when people say, "Oh, it's just for attention." Yeah. you know, not not then. Maybe now, you know, it's a way to maybe make money off of the situation. But I think most of these people just, and they haven't spoken about it until I think this Unsolved Mysteries, you know, story went there and started interviewing people. Like the Jane Reed, she was, um, or Jane Green. Yeah, Jane Green. Jane Green. Yeah. She was in her 80s. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of them have just tried to push it under the rug and... I guess hope that it never happened again to him. Yeah, and that's that's something because they carried that you know for the majority of their life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're talking 1969. So that was quite a while ago. Yeah. Um, you know, and you find it interesting that 
you know, this was at the height of the NASA space race. This was, this is prime time NASA, you know, and um, so people aren't, they're, they're looking towards the skies. Mm-hmm. You know, there is something going on out there. Um, I find it interesting, although not, not 100%, because I'm sure if you look through history, you know, there's records of, of UFOs or whatever long time ago. You can even make the argument that even in some texts, like in Egypt, you know, there's some uh, possibility of outside visitors. I do find it interesting that there was such a a high amount or an uptick in some of these sightings almost when we started the space race. Now, whether or not that's, you know, our imitating life, I don't know. Maybe we just started to notice because we're looking in the sky. I don't know. But I do find it interesting that wouldn't, if you were an, uh, if you were an alien civilization and you, obviously if you're here, you're much more advanced than we are. We're just a bunch of shaved apes at this point. But, you know, um, you know, once they start to get that kind of technology, that's probably where you go. All right. Yeah, we probably need to make ourselves known because at some point they're going to take the they're going to take the lid off and see what's inside. Well, and they need to see what we're capable of. Right. Because we haven't done so great so far. No, we sure haven't. Our own planet and things that we've chosen to do. So that would make sense. And you know, with the short amount of time, like we said, we don't know how long, how much time passed and how right. long these kids were gone. But it was almost like just like a test is what it sounds like. Like, can we get all these people plucked up here mm. and then put them back? You know what I mean? Yeah. As fast as it happened. And, and the fact fact that this uh, Travis Walton and this girl, you know, were on the ship at the same time. Oh, you're and, talking about what was it? No, not Travis Walton. Um What's that guy's name? The the first one, the boy, the running in place kid, Tommy, 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 yeah. Walton. Tommy Walton, no, Tom Warner, Tom Warner. There's so many names and stuff that it can get confusing. <laughs> there was like three Tom, <laughs> yeah, I know. It was Tommy and Tom and Thomas. Yeah. <laughs> and which doesn't help because there is a Travis, Travis Walton. Walton. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, yeah. and yeah, you're right. He was in the story. So sorry, everybody. I'll, I'll get on track here. Tom <laughs> Warner. He yeah. saw her. Um, Melanie. Yeah. You know, and they were on there at the same time. Yeah. So, and they both described, well, I mean, he said seven minutes, but she doesn't know exactly how long, but then woke up at the lake. Mm. So it's just, it's weird. It's just like, like picking from different areas. Let's see if we can get them up here, whether they did anything or not. Yeah, we don't, nobody knows. Because they don't. None of the children said that they saw anything. Right. They just saw other people laying around on a ship. Yeah, that's true. They didn't even talk about seeing an alien. Uh-uh. They saw each other. They just saw each other, and they didn't know what was going on. They And she said she couldn't talk. It was probably just from fear. Right. And he said that he saw fear in her eyes. Yeah. And then before they knew it, they were back. So it just seems to me like it was like a test. Yeah, kind of a get to know you. Mm-hmm. But then the one family said three hours had passed, So, but they don't remember anything. So there you go. Yeah, I mean, that's tough. I mean, you really don't know what to what to make of that. You know, if, if they're advanced enough to get here, I would imagine they're advanced enough to bend time in some way, shape, or form. Um, whether they experimented on them or not, I mean, we don't know, you know. But 
Gosh, that's a uh, that's an interesting interesting incident, and the fact that it happened to so many different multiple mm-hmm. people in the same day. You know, that's that's kind of at the top of the show. Why I said this was this was a bit different than some of the other ones. Yeah, and and these are the ones that I like to talk about and tell others about because I had never heard of it before. Mm-mm. I mean, know? there's some there's some very well known. UFO incidents out there, like the Hudson Valley incident, and I'm sure at some point we'll do a show on that too. And you know, there's um, there's some that it's just like one person saw one thing or right. they have one description. This I found so interesting because there's so many people. I mean, we only talked about five, right? You know, but there were multiple, multiple. We don't know how many because it wasn't recorded down. Yeah, but there were a lot of people that saw this. Yeah. So, well. You know, that that to me is a lot more valid. It is something I'm more likely to believe, something I'm more likely, likely to look into and to research. Because while I know there can be mass hysteria and, you know, mass hypnotism and all this other stuff, not for something like this. I don't believe right. that for one second. I think these people all experience what they said they experienced and the fact that they can remember it. I mean, when something traumatic happens to you and you're that scared, you remember everything that happens. Oh, yeah. You don't ever forget. No. You know? No, you trauma may, is a great memory. Yeah, I mean, you may push it down and try not to think about it, but just like we talked in the Zimbabwe thing, I mean, those kids all remember what happened. Yeah, they sure do. I mean, and they were young. They are traumatized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and, but they actually saw... You know, and if you haven't listened to that podcast, go go listen to the Zimbabwe aliens because. <laughs> well, I just yeah. I think everybody needs to know about that because sure. it just it still has stuck with me yeah. even after finding out about it and us doing the show about it. I think about it a lot. Yeah, it's a very compelling story it's uh, incident. Huge. I mean, it really like lit a fire in me. Mm-hmm. That story in particular, and so. Even if you go and just read about it on the internet, go do that. Yeah. But it's it's very interesting, and that's why I wanted to discuss it. For sure. Well, I mean, that's uh, that kind of wraps up the show. Look, we actually made it under an hour. I know. <laughs> but, uh, well, listen, thank you so much. Uh, thanks, Nicole, for bringing that in. And uh, we've got some pretty good shows lined up. Um you know, we were we we're gone a week, and um, you know, some personal issues and or personal matters, I should say. But um, you know, we've got some pretty good stuff on slate, right? Yeah, we do. And after every, you know, after every podcast is released, um, we post pictures on our Facebook page. Um, yep. And I, you know, I write out the the episode and the links to the podcast, and you can check out the pictures that we've discussed on the podcast or, you know, information relating to that. So you can kind of check that out so you don't have to go search right. for yourself. It's perfect. Which <laughs> yeah. is great. I'm so glad you do that. And uh, I typically do a video on pretty much everything we do. So uh, look for that at, you know, our YouTube channel, um, you know, and a few users have asked us or listeners have asked us about support. Um, if it's something that you want to do, it's not a push thing at all. Um, but if you do, we do have a Patreon set up. It's uh, patreon.com forward slash Generation X Paranormal. Um, again, it's not not a ploy or anything. Keep you keep your money if you want. It's just some people had asked. So, you know, we're, we're putting that out there. Um, but again, thanks for joining us and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs>